Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to the Patrick Lally Show on another grand and glorious day here in the best little city in America, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And we're going to spend a couple hours here engaged in some energetic and entertaining conversation on local, state, and national news and politics. We'll talk music. Got a lot of music on the show today. Uh, some natural world stuff. You know, nature. We like the nature here on the show, so we're going to talk a little nature. Uber producer Dan Peters is in the studio. He's in the news pod, busily working away. Thanks for spending some time with us through your radio at Information 1000 KSOO. Maybe you're streamed live at KSOO.com or on the KSOO mobile app. Remember, always Facebook Live when we can get a good strong signal. And the Twitter account is at P. Lally Show. I just flew in from Denver. And are my arms tired? Oh, man, I don't have my rim shot. Oh, no, I just, I, I was in Denver this morning. I'm here in the afternoon. How is that for magic? That's just, that's just flat out science magic there. It's lift and jet fuel that help get that <laughs> to happen. Yes, and uh, I put a lot of stock in lift and jet fuel uh, today and back in the great city of Sioux Falls after a wonderful, wonderful stretch in uh, the greater Denver metropolitan area where uh, JP and I, we made that, uh, we got to see, uh, this is pretty amazing, and I'm going to talk about this later with uh, Scott Hudson on Weird Friends. Uh, I finally got to go to Red Rocks, the famed outdoor venue there in the Denver metropolitan area, and of course got to see one of my personal favorites, Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. And it was awesome because not only, I mean, anytime you could see Jason Isbell, it's awesome. And his wife, Amanda Shire, was there. But Amanda Shire opened the show with her band because she's got a new record coming out. And then Amy Mann did a set. Her, uh, you'll remember her from Till Tuesday, Voices Carry. But she, she's, that was about 30 years ago. And so uh, she's, she's good. She's just like a songwriter. She's awesome rocking and rolling up there. And then uh, Jason Isbell at Red Rocks. And that place is, I mean, as advertised. For people who have never been to Red Rocks, describe what it's like. It's hard to describe what it's like, Dan. Uh, I first saw, I became aware of Red Rocks in, you know, like 1982 or whatever it was when the famed uh, uh, U2 record came out. It was a live record, and they had a video with it from Red Rocks. And that's when I first saw it. So it's it's basically a natural amphitheater way up, not way up, kind of in the foothills there near Denver, southwest of Denver, I think. And it's that it's that line of red, uh, probably sandstone. Or quartzite. No, I think it's no? sandstone. I think because it's not, it's it's different texture. But it's a, it's a deeper red. And it's, it's it actually runs, that ridge runs, from like around Denver there, uh, uh, near the Rocky Mountains, all the way down into New Mexico and um, way down, you know, uh, some of the finer, uh, what, what is that fancy town there in New Mexico that uh, everybody likes? Like uh, not, Pueblo? Pueblo, maybe, not Albuquerque. Uh, it's Santa up Fe. In, Santa Fe. It's up in that area. And, and so anyway, it's cool. And so there's just these monstrous red juttings of, of stone that that sort of frame what is now a stage. But when it started, it was just a little area and people would go up there and play and people would sit around and watch and they've built it into this 10, you know, 9,500 seat uh, incredible outdoor venue. And it was really, really fun and a really good show. And my third time seeing Jason Isbell and I, I, you know, I fear that we will never see him back in Sioux Falls just because the you know, place was packed. Juiced. If you can play, you know, 10,000 seat venues in Denver, you're never going to play here again. And that bums me out because he's awesome. You're going to have to start your lobbying group. I know. Well, hopefully. You and, and disgruntled former city commissioner Matt Staub are going <laughs> to have to co- co- have to coagulate your, yeah. your efforts here. Uh, in fact, uh, disgruntled former city commissioner Matt Staub is actually going to see uh, Jason Isbell in Wyoming, Montana. In a couple of days. He's, Missoula, I believe. Yeah, maybe somewhere around Missoula. And he's on some grand tour. I, I te- he texted me. 
he had just seen uh, another band up in Calgary. He's he's driving all over North America. Calgary, he went to see a band. So, and, you know, he's having a nice trip, but he gets to see Jason again. But I, that's what I'm worried about. It's just, you know, he's too big. He's too big. I, I did decide this, though. I just, you know, I, I love these places I get to go, right? Denver, um, you know, all the, all the finest large metropolitan areas in our country. You know, I've, I've been blessed to go pretty much everywhere. And I always am struck by the, in some of these places, and Denver certainly is one of them, the amount of driving you have to do to get anywhere. And it just, I mean, it flat out sucks. How do people live there? (laughs) But it was, you know, like I said, it's really fun to go there and hang out and experience other communities, see how other people do things. But I'm back now. Missed one show yesterday. In the best little city in America. Thank you, Dan. And in that vein, we have a fabulous show for you today. Stephanie Peterson, who is involved with Homegrown Sioux Empire, will preview the Yard to Table Month. And this is interesting. Yard to Table. This is food from your plot in the earth. And how you... I talk about locally sourced. There's nothing more locally sourced than your backyard. So we'll talk to Stephanie about that and uh, some of the activities they have going along with that and why you want to grow your own food. Thea Miller-Ryan, our friend, the executive director of the Outdoor Campus, will be with us. Uh, she, uh, she used to be on Fridays. And uh, to try and give the, I was always crunching her time way down, and she's got great stuff to talk about. And today she's bringing with her Josh Delger, who is a uh, uh, with the GFP, GFNP. Oh, those GFNPs, Game Fishing Parks, and uh, we're going to be talking about pheasants because apparently pheasant numbers up. Scott Hudson, as I mentioned, is our weird friend of the day. Uh, we'll talk about great outdoor venues a little bit and uh, some new music coming out, so that'll be fun. And I will have a PL statement. Just after the next break, today's topic, fear, fear, people. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO, and it is a P&L statement time of the day where we look at the news and find some things that are going on that pique our interest and uh, maybe anger us a bit or, you know, get us excited, what have you. And, uh, you know, I was away a little bit, kind of out of touch, didn't really pay attention to the news of the world when you're out in the wilds of Colorado. Hiking and doing that sort of thing, you know, being active and such. But, you know, so I come back and uh, I knew this was coming. We all knew that the Bob Woodward book was coming on the Trump administration. Um, And, you know, when Bob Woodward writes a book about you, uh, it's, you know, it's often not very flattering. (laughs) How that goes. So the book comes out, I believe, Tuesday. And it's called Fear, Trump in the White House. And uh, it's, uh, it was released to journalists for review and comment uh, this week. And, uh, and uh, of course, it is, it is causing uh, a lot of uh, consternation, shall we say, in the White House. So uh, this is from the New York Times today. Five takeaways from Bob Woodward's book on the Trump White House image. A new book by Bob Woodward, the longtime Washington Post reporter, portrays a White House with relentless infighting and a work culture so toxic and volatile that many of President Trump's top advisors and cabinet members became accustomed to working around their boss, whom they describe as unstable and uninformed. So, you know, this is the the, the third sort of uh, tell-all from inside. A tell-all, you know, books about the White House and what's going on there. So fear, 
Trump in the White House is already atop Amazon's bestseller list, and it's not even out yet because you can pre-order. Uh, let's see. There was The Fire and Fury by uh, Michael Wolf, and that had a lot of whew, wild stuff in it. Unhinged by the former White House advisor Amarosa Newman. Also reported uh, that you know the, the hostility and interpersonal feuding that Mr. Woodward depicts, according to the Times. So, yeah, um, the White House, yeah, coming out swinging already. Uh, the uh, 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 Mr. Trump, the President, he told the Daily Caller, "It's just another bad book. He has a lot of credibility problems." Sarah Huckabee Sanders called it. Nothing more than fabricated stories. So here are the five takeaways, according to the Times, because they've read it. I have not. I did not get my copy must be on my desk. Dan, I guess I didn't I didn't get a uh, an advanced copy on this. Yeah, I'm not seeing the brown um, yeah. bag that was be bubble wrapped yeah. envelope. No. no, I did not see no. it. You don't have one, do you? Did you get one? I did not okay. get one. Dan and I don't have the book. That's just for the record for you people. So these are the five takeaways from Fear, Trump in the White House. The Russia investigation is a constant source of anxiety for Mr. Trump and his lawyers. Well, yeah, I would imagine. Uh, So it goes into some detail about uh, how uh, the interplay between um, Mr. Trump and his former lawyer, John Dowd, He was then an outside lawyer advising the president on White House's interactions with Robert S. Mueller III. Of course, he being the special counsel. And, you know, it doesn't doesn't go well. Uh, Apparently, according to the book, um, they had a a mock interview between the president and Mr. Mueller um, and just how, you know, that might go. Uh, Mr. Dowd tried to demonstrate why their meeting was reason for Mr. Trump not to do an interview with Mr. Mueller, citing the president's scheduling demands. And this is so, you know, they were going back and forth between Mr. Dowd and Mr. Mueller. Um, And, you know, Mr. Dowd just kept trying to convince the president that sitting down with Mueller was a bad idea. He did a bad, bad thing. Um, He told uh, uh, the president, Mr. Dowd, it's not that you're lying or you're bad, or anything like that, given your daily intake, just look at what we've done this afternoon. And uh, he wrote a letter for him, uh, uh, for the president, uh, that was addressed to Mr. Mueller, asserting the president's right to terminate the investigation, and Mr. Trump loved it. But, you know, it's uh, it goes back and forth. So number two is Mr. Mueller engaged in lively conversations for months with Mr. Trump's lawyer. So, yeah, they were going back and forth constantly. And it's it's interesting. Um, they still haven't come up with a, uh, you know, a, a, a agreement on whether or not Mr. Trump will be interviewed. Number three, Mr. Trump's advisors are repeatedly stunned by the president's lack of interest in and knowledge of major issues. And it details a uh, uh, meeting, 2017, at the Pentagon between Mr. Trump, military brass, and members of his cabinet. When are we going to start winning some wars? Mr. Trump groused at those around him to clar- tried, as those around him tried to clarify the purpose of the war in Afghanistan. We've got these charts. When are we going to win some wars? Why are you jamming this down my throat? And uh, apparently attacked the generals and cabinet members and then left and... Uh, Uh, That's when Mr. Tillerson called him a moron. And once Mr. Trump had left using an expletive. At a January meeting at the National Security Council, Mr. Trump asked why the United States was spending so much time, so much on the Korean Peninsula. And uh, Jim Mattis, Secretary, uh, Defense Secretary, uh, said that we were trying to prevent World War III. After Mr. Trump left the room, Mr. Woodward noted, Mr. Mattis told people that Mr. Trump understood the topic like a fifth or sixth grader. There's some more details there. Uh, number, what are we at? We're on number four. Mr. Trump himself was not a primary source for the book. Uh, so there's some, uh, you know, back and forth on this one about, uh, you know, whether or not uh, Mr. Trump had the opportunity. Uh, Woodward says, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I told, yeah, I asked, so. Um, and, you know, this book is, is a, uh, it's uh, known as deep background, where you uh, 
uh, interview with lots and lots of people, but you, nobody is actually sourced. So uh, Washington Post, where Mr. Woodward, of course, works, they published an audio of an 11-minute call between Woodward and Trump in which Woodward warned the president that his book would be severe and expressed regret that he never had a chance to incorporate Mr. Trump's view of his own job. And uh, Mr. Trump was upset with that and said, so you're going to have a very inaccurate book, and that's too bad. And uh, Mr. Woodward responded, it's going to be accurate, I promise. Yeah, okay, Mr. Trump said. Well, accurate is that nobody's ever done a better job than I'm doing as president. So there you go. Number five, John F. Kelly, the chief of staff, quickly soured on Mr. Trump. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything, Mr. Kelly bemoaned in a meaning. He's gone off the rails. And a lot of, this is a good story. There's a lot of interesting things. I think it's going to be a very explosive book. And here's the deal. Okay. You know, it, it's going to be tough for uh, the president to take his normal tact here, which is to essentially just attack the person, right? And try and discredit the person. It's Bob Woodward. He's got Pulitzer Prizes. He invented an entire uh, division, an entire theory of journalism about investigations and, and how you conduct them at the various highest levels. And he is fastidious about everything. He has written so many books about presidents. And even the people who didn't like the book say, well, I, you know, it was right. He doesn't get it wrong. You may not like what it says. There may be things that aren't in there that you want in there. But generally speaking, it's right. And he has written some incredible books. Um, I, I, one of the best books I ever read about uh, that I learned so much about the Supreme Court, The Brethren, which he wrote in like, you know, after Watergate, like 76 uh, it's an amazing book about the Supreme Court and the inner workings of the Supreme Court. There have been books on, of course, multiple books on the Nixon administration, Reagan, uh, the Bush administration, Clinton. I mean, everything. Okay? He is the nation's best investigative journalist when it comes to government and presidents, especially. So attacking his credibility is going to be kind of hard. So I wish, you know, good luck with that. That's the bottom line on today's PNL statement. You can agree or disagree with me. Send me an email, Patrick at KSO.com. You can tweet at us at P. Lally Show. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters. We're going to chat with Scott Hudson and Weird Friends. We're going to talk some music, baby. Music. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Three thirty-five on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO, and it's Wednesday at three thirty, so it's time for Scott Hudson on our Weird Friends segment. Uh, Scott, how are you, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm, you know, I almost lost track of time when I was out back uh, burning some shoes. <laughs> you're gonna burn some Nikes? Is that what you're doing? Oh no, it was just some shoes I had laying around. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're not uh, you're not in the protest mode just yet. You haven't got your. Uh... Um, my protest is that anyone who decide who's going to judge my patriotism, I'm going to protest them. I, I think that's the most unpatriotic thing you can do. Yeah, it, I I agree with that. So you're going to. So, I'm and I'm not. Regardless gonna... of what regardless of what side you're on on the Kaepernick, Kaepernick thing, I think one of the scariest things that we've seen in the last few years is people deciding they have the right to tell another person that they are not patriotic. Uh, yeah, that's that's called jingoism and nationalism, and it's wrong. Uh, yep. I, I agree. And I'm not going to buy a pair of shoes one way or the other based on... Uh, no. <laughs> you, know, that's you know what? Just... I've never, I haven't bought shoes in years because it's like a holiday tradition. 
that, you know, my mom has trouble buying me Christmas gifts. I usually get a pair of shoes. Sometimes they're, (laughs) sometimes they're athletic shoes and sometimes they're dress shoes. And it's like, okay, whatever I get, I wear, you know, I'm I'm not picky. (laughs) Um, moving on to music, but that's, that was very insightful. Thank you, Scott. Um, the, uh, uh, I told everybody earlier, uh, and I'll remind them if they're just dropping in. I just got back from seeing Isbel, Jason Isbel at Red Rocks. Okay, have you ever been to this joint? No, I've always wanted to. I mean, I, I mean that, that is probably one of the most famous outdoor venues ever. Um, I, I think internationally it became known after that U2 concert mm-hmm. uh, in, I think it was 86 or so, that was turned into a video and an, and a, and an album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and now, yeah, I mean, everybody knows it's, it's one of the most famous concert venues in the world. Yep. And one of the, and really that, that concert when U2 was in my, they were the, the U2 of my youth, uh, and starting to kind yeah. of go weird, but, uh, uh, he's, they has got that line and I kept looking down at the stage thinking that's where he said this. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday, bloody Sunday. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. I've always just remembered that one particular part of that show, and I was it was cool. But I was, you know, it's Denver, you know, and so people are always like, dude, you got to go to Red Rocks. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right. And so I, you know, I was like, yeah, I know, I'm sure it'll be fine. And it was, it's really cool. But it made me think of like, what, where else would you like to see a show outdoors? You know, like what are the great outdoor venues yeah, that you just um, got to well, go I mean, to? I would say probably the most famous in the U.S. would be the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, sure. You know, it's been around for about 100 years now and has had everything from big bands to uh, the Beatles. And, you know, I mean, that's probably the most famous. Um, uh, You know, there's there's a couple a couple others in the in in uh, on the West Coast. Uh, The Gorge, Hmm. George Washington. That's a pretty famous one. But you know, um, Europe is where there's a ton of outdoor. I mean, Europe pretty much invented the outdoor festival. Um, you have Slane Castle in Ireland. Mm. Uh, there's a pretty famous Bruce Springsteen concert there that there was like three hundred thousand people or some <laughs> ridiculous number like that. Yeah. Um, the auditorium in Rome. Oh you know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Glastonbury in in England, uh, most famous festival that's held every single year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, some of those I wouldn't want to go to because there's just too. Many. Glastonbury would be a nightmare for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Wembley. I would. Yeah, Wembley would be a nightmare. I've been at a few football stadium concerts, and I've been lucky that I've had good seats. But I can't imagine going to some of these shows. I mean, I can't even imagine going to our local big venue. And being in the back, can you imagine being in a football stadium and being in the back? He's like, oh, oh hi, <laughs> hi, Bono. <laughs> well, hi. wasn't the last? What was the? It was you too. Didn't they just do a, a tour where uh, they played the, the the University of Minnesota football stadium? Right? Wasn't that you yeah. too? And I was I, thinking, everybody was going, and I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. No, no. I mean, I wouldn't. I haven't liked the U2 album in probably 15 years, but, I, I, you know, if I had the opportunity to go see them in a place that held 20,000 or mm-hmm. less, yeah. I'd, I'd take it. And if you had good tickets. Well, yeah, there is that. And yeah. I was even, even with Isbel, I was thinking, we were in 30th row, which wasn't bad. You know, it was in the, in the, towards the front, in the middle, and they were pretty good. But I was thinking, you know, it, the place holds 9,500 people, which is, you don't think of as a lot, but up on top of there, can you really? I mean, there's a big screen. Well, yeah, especially after we've been spoiled by seeing Isbell at uh, yeah. local venues that hold, what, 1,500 people? Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're, and didn't fill it. That's the thing. The most, the most amazing thing, and I, I said this at the time, the last time Isbell was here, uh, playing at the Pavilion, is uh, it was an amazing show. That week, his record debuted, or hit number one on the country charts the album on the country yeah. album charts. Um, and th- the show didn't sell out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous what happens sometimes. It's just crazy. But, <laughs> but this was a, it was a, a really, it's, it, it is such a cool venue because you can see, you know, the lights of suburban, then the sprawl of suburban Denver in the background and uh, just 
you know, they light up the rocks. Oh, it's just it yeah. impressive. There's a really cool museum there. Highly recommend Fabulous. it. You get, you better go. You better just yeah, find something I'll, and go. Okay, I'll, I'll be on my way. <laughs> Last night, Monday night was Isbol. Uh, Tuesday night was uh, Lyle Lovett and the big and his big band. Oh, that would have been good too. I know. I thought about going back. I, I know. This. Recently, the Pixies have played there, and uh, I think the Cure was there not too mm-hmm. long ago. So yeah, it's it's, it's a it's remarkable a, venue. It's a thing. It's a thing. Hey, uh, I want to talk a little bit about some new music. You cool with that? Oh yeah. All right. We'll come right back and talk more with Scott Hudson about uh, some new music coming out by somebody you may recognize. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Three forty-six on the Patrick Lally Show, Information One Thousand KSOO, and we are chatting with Scott Hudson on Weird Friends. And uh, Scott, there's a there's a big record coming out, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I mean, usually when I'm on here, I'm I, I understand my role is to be too, too cool for the room with a record <laughs> that nobody's ever heard of. Um, this year, this week, I'm talking about it. I mean, this Friday, uh, uh, there is a seventy-six-year-old man who is putting out uh, a record that is getting great reviews. That's shocking because I, th- I, I'm, I actually am amazed by this because it's Paul McCartney, and yeah. I just can't imagine him. I, obviously, he's you know, uh, one of the most influential musicians of all time, but it's been a while. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. Um, between Silly Love Songs in 76, and the the say 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 debacle with uh, Michael Jackson in like '86, <laughs> McCartney was my least favorite Beatle. I never thought I would listen to Paul McCartney again. But then I think what happened was Paul McCartney kind of realized he's not going to be a current pop star anymore. So he started just making records, kind of for himself, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and so the stuff that he's, I mean, he doesn't put out a record every year like he used to. I mean, it's like every five years or so. But when they do come out, they're actually not that bad. <laughs> Which is, you know, not a great uh, endorsement, but at least no, it doesn't but, suck. But some of, them, some of them have actually been really, really good. Um, the record he put out like five years ago, I can't remember the name of it offhand, mm-hmm. but he played a couple of the songs when he was here. Mm-hmm. That was really, really good. And what I've been reading about this is uh, it, I've read comparisons to the album Ram, which is my favorite Paul McCartney solo album of all time. So, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 I do find it interesting. It used to be because, you know, when the Beatles broke up, they weren't yet 30. And they were considered old. Mm-hmm. When the Rolling Stones put out Some Girls in 78, they weren't quite 40, and everybody was saying, they're too old to rock and roll. Yeah. And now we got people like, you know, not just McCartney, but we got Dylan and Neil Young. Uh, before his death, Leonard Cohen put out some of the best music of his career. Uh, you can still be a rock and roller, even though you're like pension age. But you have to change, right? I mean, that's the thing. You have to start to... yeah. Your 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 theme, your message, your your approach, it would seem to me, has to change. You do find that that McCartney is, he's never not been introspective, but I mean he's not trying to be a pop star either, is it? No, no. What do you what do you take away from the music now that you didn't take away from a Beatles record or even early McCartney? Um. Well, I mean, like, uh, like uh, that, that era that I hated, 76 to 86, mm-hmm. I just thought that he tried too hard um, to, to be a chart topper, to still be the cute Paul. Um, and, and I thought that those records were super overproduced. And, and that was the killjoy of a lot of great rockers in the 80s that were big. Mm-hmm. You know, they thought that because they could make a $5 million studio album, they should. No, no, just go make spend a fraction of that and make it raw. And I, I, I think that's kind of what some of these guys decided because they've all, all those artists I just mentioned, Neil, Bob, all of them, the 80s were not good for any of them. No, Neil Young Trans is a horrible record. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I bought it and I'm still mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, so uh, 
I mean, the guy doesn't have to make a record. That's that's the, that's the funny thing. He he could he could just do what he's do, normally doing, touring the world and just playing the same songs every night. But the fact that he does still have this need to create makes him puts him above like the Eagles and all those bands that just rely on 40 year old songs. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and are still just out there redoing it, redoing it, redoing it. Yeah. And John doesn't change. hasn't changed his set list since like the mid nineties. <laughs> You're kidding me. Can you imagine how boring that would be? That would be awful. I mean, that would just be, you, you, I don't know how you could keep doing it and why, why do you keep doing it? If that's all you're doing is doing basically yeah. doing a casino show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Oh God. You know, what's weird about McCartney is one of the most interesting interviews with him I ever saw. And I don't see a lot of them was actually on the, uh, um, Oh, it's the late show. It's James Corden. Oh yeah. That thing that was on a few, uh, yeah, the, 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 Carpool karaoke thing. Yeah, and and he does that with a lot of people, but when he did it with McCartney, it, it, it was actually I was very skeptical on how I was going to receive that because I'm I'm not a fan of Corden, and I think a lot of that stuff is is a little overly set up. But it's actually very touching. I found out afterwards he had not visited, even though his old house is a museum in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. That was the first time he had been back to his old house since like 1963. Yeah, and it was. You could tell he was moved, and you just yeah. don't see that on television that much. Yeah. The the funny thing is when, um, no, I guess they didn't, um, Abbey Road, mm-hmm. there's all these pictures of him at Abbey Road um, recently. Oh, I yeah, have yeah. a friend of mine that lives in England, you know, my, my screen name, Paul is Dead. Mm-hmm. They went and spray painted the word Paul is Dead on the Abbey Road <laughs> wall. I have pictures of that. I was very, very proud. That's a keeper. Oh, yeah, yeah. I need to frame it now that, that I think be, about it. Yes, that would be really cool. Uh, so uh, that album comes out when? When's the next McCartney album? comes out Friday. And it's called what? Do you know? Uh, Egypt Station, I believe. Egypt's in, I believe it's Egypt Station. Well, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to talk Egypt about that. Egypt is in the title. I know that. Well, yeah, cool. And you, you know, you well, search McCartney well, uh, and you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but uh, he's doing, he is doing the interview circuit right now. So, uh, yep, Egypt Station. Yep, Egypt Station. It is um, the uh, uh, Rolling Stones review is titled "Paul McCartney's Awesomely Eccentric Egypt Station." Well, there you oh, that go. sounds like a Scott Hudson record. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about that next week. So I assume you'll hear it by then. Oh yeah, I I thought I would hear a leak by now, but it uh, hasn't leaked. That's pre- that's pretty impressive too. Um, so uh, remind people uh, the show you've got Friday uh, uh, is on McCartney Live Ledge. And what real? What are you doing um, this week? Well, it's the first Friday of the month, so it's new release day. Oh, see, there you go. That's what people want. They want they they crave the new music. Well, um, thank God that keeps <laughs> the music industry going. And uh, of course, the uh, Big Brother. Uh, uh, cartoon show continues, right? And your podcast? Yeah, we got about three more of those and three more Big Brother Gossip shows. And yeah, then then I only do four shows a week instead of six. <laughs> That's good. Uh, uh, the uh, Live Ledge is Friday evenings at six o'clock, right? On Real Punk Radio? Yes. And then you can get it podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. Yep. Later, uh, probably about nine o'clock or so, it gets uploaded. Awesome. Uh, Scott Hudson, Weird Friends. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Coming up after the news and weather at the top of the hour, we are going to chat with the one, the only, Thea Miller Ryan, and uh, we're going to talk about pheasants. She's got a, she's got a friend. She bring a friend. She always does that. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. Public service announcements with guitar. Three fifty-eight on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO. This weekend, Sunday, is the Sioux Falls Marathon, Half Marathon. It starts and basically ends, I believe, at the Denny Sanford Premier Center. First race at 6.30 a.m. Races include Marathon, Half Marathon, 10K, 10K Team Challenge, and the Miracle 5K. For more information on this and any other events, go to the calendar at KSO.com. Coming up after the news and weather, as I said, Thea Miller-Ryan of the Outdoor Campus. We're talking pheasants. 
This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000 KSOO. Four oh six on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO, and uh, I am very happy to get Thea Miller Ryan, Executive Director of the Outdoor Campus, back in the studio because we've we've had some scheduling issues. Let's just say that, shall scheduling, we? Scheduling, 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 <laughs> scheduling. But uh, she's back, and she has with her because you know. Thea is like, uh, she's like a program director here there on we the go. Patrick well, that's, what, Show. that's what my job is. Yeah, she <laughs> always brings people with her, which we really appreciate. Uh, various iterations of uh, the Game, Fish, and Parks Department. Uh, today, it's Josh Delger. He is, uh, I'm going to, Terrestrial Resources Close. What? Yep, Terrestrial Resource Supervisor. Oh, there we go. Region. So, yeah, that works. Well, uh, Josh? Uh, yep. What what does that mean? What <laughs> what does a terrestrial resources resource manager actually do? Well, I like to tell people what to do. No, that's that wouldn't that wouldn't summarize it correctly. But I like to call it you know wildlife supervisor for the region. So that's a little makes it a little easier to understand. You know, it's uh, stuff on the ground, stuff on the earth, rather than in the water or in outer space. Got it. So uh, not fish and not birds. Well, birds. Well, birds, birds a little bit. With, uh, I suppose they're on the ground. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, And you're here today because we're going to talk about the all-important pheasant. Yes, we are going to talk pheasant. about that bird. Yeah, uh, sure. the, the Chinese ringneck pheasant, mm-hmm. of which we have become so fond of mm-hmm. here in the great state of South Dakota. Um, but first, I want to ask, you, as we were coming in, you said it's deer season already. Yeah, that's a good topic we could talk about real quick. What, why is it? It seems very early for deer season. That, that is a change that happened this year. Um, typically, our, our our archery season starts uh, with the last weekend of September. This year, we are opened up as of this last Saturday on September 1st. So that, that was a big change to our season structure for, for archery deer season. And, uh, you know, it's it's just one of those things where... Ours has typically been later than a lot of the surrounding states, and and you know, we just thought we'd maybe fall more in line with that. We we've had requests from different hunting groups and, and the public on maybe extending that opportunity and being more in line with other states, and so we that that's kind of what happened. Yeah, it does. It seems very early. So archery season uh, is underway, and that goes till when? All through the yep. fall, right? Yeah, it'll, that'll end on December thirty first, and then yep. uh, uh, rifle season. For lack of, I don't know if you call it rifle season. Firearms, rifle, firearm, guns. Yep. Uh, begins when? That is, uh, so that'll that'll start uh, in November. Um, we actually will have our youth season starts this coming weekend. Oh wow! And so that that would be another opportunity for for deer hunting. But yeah, our our, our firearm seasons are in November. Why is the archery season so much longer than the the firearm season? Just by pure numbers of people who want to do it? Yeah, that's a good question. Not necessarily. That I would say it's uh, more of the difficulty level in harvesting a deer, which ties into our success rates and um, harvesting a deer. So that that's all that all kind of plays into that. So you know, on average, on an average day you go out, you'd be a lot less likely to get mm-hmm. one with archery equipment compared it's, to uh, a firearm. Right. It's a numbers game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I have one more question about deer season. Um, in other states, they don't like like they have like uh, plug seasons or first like shotgun seasons. Yeah versus rifle seasons. Why is that? Correct. Um, it's more of a function of maybe human populations and, uh, you know, maybe densities of humans mm. and, and cities and that kind of thing. You know, the further you get west, the more acceptable rifle hunting is. There's just more open areas. Um, you go further east and you got more cities and people. So, um, you know, it's just more of yeah, a function of that and and how far those uh, particular projectiles are going to travel you know across the landscape so because does anybody actually hunt deer with a shotgun around here they do really they do there is actually an area in uh, minnehaha county here that is actually a us required to use a a shotgun uh, for the same reasons you're yes. closer to the city exactly well that's yep. very interesting yep. um Let's talk about pheasants now, because that's why you're here. That's what you prep for. I know that's what you studied <laughs> for. Uh, I think it's important that we stay focused. Um, the obviously pheasant season is a huge mm-hmm. industry here in the state of South Dakota. Um, so we always are worried about how many pheasants we got. And last year wasn't good, right? Well, yeah, I don't know if 
the it was per- down. The perfect way to define it. Right. Yeah, definitely at uh, like low levels compared to the long term average for sure. Yeah, but still a lot of birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it is. That's the thing we always like to keep in mind and share is that it is still South Dakota, yeah. and there's still a lot of pheasants out there. So compared to most every other state around us, even though we're down, it doesn't mean we're uh, you know down in a sense of not having birds out there. Right, but the bird the the brood report or uh, the count is a big deal though because. Even that we were, you know, we still got a lot of birds, but it was down a little bit. Some people might go elsewhere, right, to do their hunting. Yeah, and that would be kind of uh, something that would happen. Yeah, you'd hear that South Dakota's down, so that might prompt somebody to go to a neighboring state or something like that. But, yeah, that, that's just it. I mean, there's, there's still just as good, if not better, opportunities here compared to some of the other areas. But for the love of God, you're not going to go to Iowa. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> let's, let's get it together here, people. <laughs> But some people do go up to North Dakota. There's yeah. a lot of pheasant hunting in North yeah. Dakota, right? Yeah, no, North Dakota is really good. I mean, I, yeah, I was going to say South Dakota is good. And I will actually even say Iowa does have some good uh, pheasant they got, hunting. They got a little bit, a little bit. I won't completely throw them under the bus. But. Are other states trying to uh, encroach upon our dominance? It's all, it's, you know, it's tough because it's just the, the, the uh, environment that allows mm-hmm. the birds to, to do so well. But mm-hmm. are, are, it seems I remember Minnesota at one point trying to say, we, we would like to have more pheasants here. Is that right. going on? Um, you know, I guess I don't specifically see it um, in, in that sense, but, I mean, I, I think there was, um, you know, maybe other states taking advantage of our report last year and, and you know, saying mm-hmm. that they have good opportunities when we're down, things like that. But, you know, on a, on a large scale, I guess I'm not necessarily seeing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they can try, but it's not right. going to work. So yeah. uh, this year we're looking good, right? Looking better. Yeah, no, that's that's the message um, compared to the long-term average. We're still, you know, a little ways off from that. But, yeah, directly comparing to last year, you know, we're close to 50% up from that. And so... That much? Yeah. Again, you know, again, as you mentioned last year, we were yeah. at one of the lower points that we've been in a while. And so, you know, um, to go up from that is, is not a hard thing to do. But, you know, again, a 50% increase is pretty pretty substantial. So That's a lot of birds. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to come right back and talk more with Thea Miller-Ryan from the Outdoor Campus and uh, Josh Delger of the GFMP about birds, about your pheasants, man. Are they out there? Well, of course they are. But we'll talk about the long-term prospects and how do you figure out how many pheasants are out there right after this short break on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. Your nails Four twenty on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand KSOO, and I, the Jason Isbell. I play a little more of it than I normally would because it's my show, and I just saw Jason Isbell in uh, Red Rock, so I'm, I'm just reliving. So couldn't be better. No, so we're here with uh, Thea Miller Ryan, who's the executive director of the Outdoor Campus, and she's here about once a week, and we chat about natural world stuff. And uh, today we also have Josh Delger, who is terrestrial resource manager for the game fishing parks in the region and uh we were talking about this off air it's the 100th anniversary of the pheasant hunt that's kind of amazing when you think about it isn't it J- josh did i call you jason <laughs> did you no, no, i don't know I josh. Think josh his name is josh it <laughs> starts with a j jason is well, so. no, if your friends and family <laughs> are out there listening my apologies Sorry. That's right. um that's right. so uh we were talking about the pheasant hunt uh and it's a big deal what when is the actual opener this year do you remember yeah, very cool um Let's see. It'll be, I think it's around, geez, I didn't write down I the know, exact date. I know, October 20th. Yes, thank you. Thank <laughs> nice. You. That's thank right. You. That's why we let Thea in the building. She comes <laughs> with the you. facts. Since um, she said that, I can tell you when the resident opener is. That's seven <laughs> yeah, days that's before. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's how the, so you've got yeah. the resident opener. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a kid's yeah, hunt? That's the week too? before that. Yeah, so correct. there's the, yeah. the kids deal is the week before that would be, the, it's the 20th, so we can do easily do the math. Okay. So you go from the 6th. <laughs> <laughs> to the to the 13th which is the resident opener Correct. so that's when normal people can do it and then on <laughs> normal the, people and then on the 20th all everybody from georgia and everywhere comes in right yeah, absolutely okay. yep. uh no but that's the, but still people a lot of residents still just wait till the traditional opener right because it's all part of the tableau yeah you know again yeah that ties into yeah the whole traditional thing and yeah a lot of people do go out and take advantage of that resident opener and that's on you know on public land and, and that too so a lot of people have got other places they go and and you know you got your traditional yeah october 20th this year but the the noon opener and all that so yeah there's there's lots of lots of tradition tied to uh, season. and we were talking about the numbers 50 percent up the estimates from last year now uh 
you don't go and introduce yourself to every pheasant in South Dakota. How do you do this, Josh? We don't. So, again, to say it's you know, 50% up the population as a whole, we can't, uh, can't technically say that, but our, we call it the index because it is due in certain routes in certain parts of the state. And so, yeah, we have... Uh, Knocking on doors. Yep, yeah. we go ask people and uh, talk to the mailman. <laughs> He's usually the best source of information out there. But, uh, no, we have, in, in all of our counties and in, in pheasant range, we typically have about two routes that get run. And uh, what we do is we wait. Oh, we can do them in any conditions, but we, all, we have primary conditions that will give us the best chance of seeing birds. And we try to take advantage of that as much as we can. But you get up at daylight and go out. Uh, run a 30-mile transect and uh, count as many pheasants and broods. And so you're just can. driving. Driving, yep. Looking for looking for pheasants. And yeah, that's, exactly. And if you do that all over the state in the same ones every time, you have a rough estimate. Exactly. So it's, you know, they're directly comparable to those specific routes, and we can't, we don't change different roads and that kind of thing because that could really throw things for a loop. And so, yep, they're, they're set transects that get run on an annual basis. And How so long have you been, that. has the GFMP been doing it this way? Oh, the route? I mean, is it, I don't look at me on that one. <laughs> Sorry. Just, this is just <laughs> the way know. it's always yeah, been. Long right? time. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long, long Since time. Since Joe Foss went out and laid it all down I in 47 so. or whenever it was. But the actual pheasant hunt is 100 years, 1918. Or no, this is the the 100th season. Season, yeah. It's not 108 years because were there some years in there where it didn't happen, right? You know, again, I'm not, yeah. I, I can't stand the best Something like that, season, but it's but the 100th yeah. season and... Uh, that's pretty impressive. So are you guys, you got some activities you're going to like, you got some t-shirts and, you know, pins and stuff like that? <laughs> we do. Pens. We've been giving out uh, oh. patches. Yeah. In fact, I have a few at my office. So stop by and yeah. you awesome. can pick up a hundred year patch. I'll trade you a, uh, uh, I'll trade you one of my Patrick Lally shows patches. Done. Deal. See, that's Bargain. straight up. Uh, Always good. He's at the outdoor <laughs> campus. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. So the, uh, the, the, what determines how many birds we got? Is it all just the weather? You know, on a, on a, on a level it, it is, but, you know, when, when you get down to the, the bottom line, it's, it's the habitat. You know, it's habitat-driven. If, if there's not the, the habitat there for the birds, there ain't going to be any birds. But, you know, after that, yeah, that is kind of the next deciding factor is the condition, conditions, the weather. Um, even snowfall from the last winter can play a big role in how many, uh, how many broods are out there and, and, and survival and things like that. So, and we just like seeing broods. On the show, <laughs> that's a good word. We just throw it in every once in a while. Yeah. Um, the but the the habitat issue obviously has been big for many years uh, because of the cut the, the re- retreat of the CRP acres. Correct. Now there's some effort underway by state uh, agencies to uh, reinvigorate the habitat. Um, how's that going? We we try to do as much as we can, but you know budgets are limited for for every agency and that kind of thing. But uh, you know. It's, it's those CRP acres that gets decided at the federal level, you know, with the farm bill. They're actually trying to hash that out right now, and I think mm-hmm. they're working on that in the next week or two. And but it's money. It, it is. It all comes down to money. If we want more acres, that, that money's got to come from somewhere. And so, you know, that that's it. But, you know, our, our agency does, uh, you know, we do try to add incentives to that. You know, if people want to, they get CRP and, and they want to go into a program where they allow public access to it. We got different programs for that to, to add and, and to sweeten sweeten the pot a little bit for for landowners. And what you need is grassland, right? And that's the problem because uh, when when commodity prices were so high, mm-hmm. uh, the incentive for farmers was to plow. Right. Yeah. And you know, corn and beans. I mean, pheasants will eat that. And you know, we did. We've lost a lot of small grains over the years too. You know, with all the you know, the wheat and oats and stuff mm-hmm. that used to be on the landscape. There's still a fair amount, you know, you go west and, and north, but, you know. But when beans are 10, 12 bucks a bu- bushel, right. you're going to plant beans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you make hay with a lot of sunshines, right? And yes, you, sir. you plant beans yes, when they're 12 bucks a bushel. Yeah. Uh uh, guys, uh, Josh Delger, who is Terrestrial Resource Manager regionally here for the Game Fish and Parks Department, and Thea Miller-Ryan, Executive Director of the Outdoor Campus. This has been Thanks. awesome. Uh, come back again next week, maybe? Um, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. We'll see what Josh is doing. Yeah, okay, I'll right. check on Josh. I have to bribe him to get him to come here. I'll get the patches and hats. Yeah, yeah. that's right. The swag. We need more <laughs> swag right. from the GFMP. Uh, but thanks a lot, guys, for coming in. Absolutely. Thanks. Coming up after the news and weather with Mr. Dan Peters, we're going to chat with Stephanie Peterson. She is with the home joint, uh, homegrown swim empire. There, I got it out. 
Homegrown Sioux Empire. We're going to talk Yard to Table Month. Oh, that's good stuff. This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. 435 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000 KSOO. And I am very happy to have in the studio with me today, Stephanie Peterson. She is with Homegrown Sioux Empire. She's a member of that organization, which is part of the Dakota Rural Action Organization. And uh, Stephanie is on the board of that group as well, who's been very active for many years in South Dakota. Stephanie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, So first of all, tell us what Homegrown Sioux Empire is. I sort of roughly uh, sketched it out there, but what are you? So we are a local chapter of Dakota Rural Action, and Dakota Rural Action is a statewide organization, um, a grassroots-based, community-based organization that works on sustainability issues, agriculture issues, um, energy issues, uh, you know, working on water conservation, cleaner rivers, that sort of thing. Um, we have chapters all over the state, um, and we Homegrown Sioux Empire is the Sioux Falls or the Sioux Empire chapter. And so uh, homegrown in that title suggests something uh, fairly specific in terms yeah. of what you're talking about that's not as broad as Dakota Rural Action. And so explain to me why that's in there and what it is that you guys do. So we like to really focus on um, agriculture, but also in an urban setting, um, since that's where we are located. Um, and, you know, we do have some surrounding rural areas, so we encompass that as well. But we like to work on um, kind of reskilling the community, um, teaching people how to uh, produce and preserve and grow their own food, basically, in many ways, shapes, and forms. So Yeah, and over the last, it's been a few years now, it's been chickens, right? Chickens, oh, yeah. this, is, so this is something you guys are into, yeah. is the, the home coop. Yep, right? yep, yep. So this, in fact, this month, at the end of September, we'll have our seventh annual Tour de Coupe which is um, an annual uh, occurrence in Sioux Falls where we spend a day on a Saturday and we tour seven or eight um, backyard chicken coops in the area. So it's a really great day. It's sort of like tour of homes where you're seeing yeah. all the all the you know the new stuff that you want to see in your own coop. Exactly. That sort of thing. Exactly. And we've kind of broadened it a little in the last couple of years. And now we go kind of out of the area. We, we visit a couple um, surrounding areas like Lenox and Renner and you know Baltic and that, that sort of thing. All oh, those Renner coopers. Yeah, right. They're, they're dangerous out there. <laughs> <laughs> but and we also are now focusing more on focusing more on gardens and other things other livestock people are raising. Um, so it's not just chickens, but you will definitely see chickens. So uh, as the chicken uh, home chickens c- continued to grow, since it was yep. a big con, it wasn't controversy. It was a community discussion about yep. whether or not and how many chickens you can have in your own home or at your own home. Uh, since that time. Uh, has it continued to expand or did a bunch of people get into it and then go, you know, I can't eat any more eggs? Well, it's actually expanding like crazy. Um, and I teach all the backyard chicken keeping classes for Sioux Falls Community Ed. So I, you know, every fall and every spring I have a class and it, it gets more full each year with people who are interested in learning on how to, how to raise chickens, what type of, of needs they require. So I would say it's definitely growing still and lots of people have, more people than you think have backyard chickens in, in the area. So. Uh, uh, I occasionally see people's chickens out walking around. Yeah, there's I, a I few ride my bike ones. a lot, yeah. yeah, you know, and so you see a chicken on occasion, but it's like, you know, hey, it's chicken. It's it fine. happens every once in a while. <laughs> uh, the uh, um, And you, uh, you got involved, or you are involved in... Uh, you have your own farm. How yeah, do I say yeah. That? So I'm a producer, um, and that's kind of what drew me to Dakota Rural Action and to um, Homegrown and the local foods movement. Is um, I have a company called Fruit of the Coop, and I sell pasture raised eggs to restaurants in Sioux Falls. Oh, okay. Yep. And I I have a dozen. Yeah. Uh, grade A large right here. Yep. They look uh, they look outstanding. Uh, Fruit of the Coop is very funny, by the way. I like that. <laughs> and I'm looking at my uh, these eggs, and they are all different colors yep. and spots and. That's like, a turkey egg, actually. I threw one of those in for you to try. That's a turkey egg. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you wouldn't have told me that, would I have been able to tell? <laughs> no, they're pretty much similar. I mean, taste very similar. How come people don't have more turkey eggs then? They don't lay very many eggs. They're hard to come by. So this is, this is That's a special, valuable, yes. A special egg. Savor it. <laughs> so it's it's sort of brownish, like, you know, often, or tan. What, mm-hmm. what What's the color that you, when you've got the, the sort of, you know, the... Uh, when I was a kid, varying all shades of white. Br- yeah, varying shades of brown. Um, there's also the really darker brown ones that some breeds uh, produce. And then there's the blue, green, and olive um, eggs. So this one is kind of a, 
grayish blue. Yeah, that's kind of on the blue side. Yeah, that's cool. This would make great radio. Me describing yeah, eggs. Right. <laughs> but the uh, the turkey egg is is that kind of tannish color, brown, and then it's got spots all over it. Yeah. So that's how I'll be able to keep those separate. That's right. Well, that's very cool. Yeah, enjoy those. They're delicious. Um, I got to get those right home and get them in the fridge, yeah. don't I? Well, they haven't been washed, so you don't need to refrigerate them right away. Ooh. Uber produce they oh they haven't been no, washed no no so that's what makes that is the trick yeah you're kidding no See, these are the things that Dan you know Uber producer Dan Peters in the other studio here uh, uh, you're not gonna be able to hear him but he's a uh, he uh, of course has uh, there he is right there <laughs> I he's a, he's a farmer so he <laughs> okay. knows all this stuff yeah me I'm a city kid I don't know nothing I don't know all this stuff I know some. Well, you're, he knows more than I do, so let's just <laughs> say that. Um, so you uh, uh, have your own egg place uh, and other produce other stuff? Nope, just eggs. Just eggs. That's it, yeah, specialty. So how many eggs are you uh, pumping out of the of fruit of the coop? So I sell about 70 to 100 dozen eggs a week, actually. Oh, wow. So it's a good number. Yeah, and you're not in the city, so you can have more Right, chickens. I have about 50 birds, so yeah. Whoa. Yep. So how, you can only have like... Five chickens, six chickens? You can have six chickens in town, um, no roosters. Oh, that's good. Um, so you, uh, Homegrown Swim Empire, yep. uh, you have a bunch of events because it's Yard to Table Month. That's right, coming that's up. right. So, in fact, it starts tomorrow with, uh, yeah, today's the 5th, right? Yeah. yeah. Tomorrow's the 6th. You've got winter gardening. Yeah, so we do a, cl- a series of classes at the downtown library all year round. Um, once a month, it's called the Sustainability Series, and we teach different classes. They're free. Everything's free, open to the public. We'd like to see everybody out. Tomorrow night, there will be one of our producers will be down there from Little Shire Farm, and he's going to be giving a seminar on how to garden over the winter. Like inside. Yeah, well, you know, you can, you can do it in, in doors, in a, in a garage, in a mm. greenhouse. That's cool. Prep right. for the spring, you know, planting seeds, that sort of thing. And uh, oh, this is this is fruit of the coop farm tour. So that's a that's your yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. I'm a member of the South Dakota Specialty Producers Association, and they do tours all summer long to producers that um, you know are doing things other than commodity crops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, they're coming out to my place on Saturday for a farm tour where we can talk about egg production. Yeah, we've just got a whole month of classes that we're offering. Uh, I think one of the most exciting ones is the chicken processing Skillshare. I was just going to ask you about yeah. that. What's a chicken processing Skillshare? So we go out to a farm out by Parker, um, and we teach people how to process chickens. Ah, so when you start say to pro- finish. Oh. <laughs> that doesn't sound it. good. That's yep. a that's an axe and a. That's not good. Well, you know, it's a skill that's kind of nice to have once in a while. So do the chickens really <laughs> run around with their head cut off? No, we don't allow that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we keep it pretty clean, oh, don't okay. worry. <laughs> and, but you'll learn how to clean the chicken, yep. process the chicken, a whole thing. Yeah, so. and we think it's really important that people know where their food comes from, yep. that they kind of um, get back to those basic skills that, you know, our forefathers and grandparents used to have. Um, we just think it helps build uh, more of a self-reliance on our own food system, and, you know, yeah. we'd like to... Promote you, that. You can't eat your iPhone. No, you as sure it turns can't. out. And so the kiddos <laughs> need, when the apocalypse comes, we're all going to need to how to process chickens, right? That's right. Well, that's good to know. Um, we're going to come right back and talk more with Stephanie Peterson, who is with the Homegrown Sioux Empire Group. And it is, of course, Yard to Table Month. And we're going to talk more about local foods, man. That's the way to eat it. That's the way to do it, people. Listen to me. You're going to learn more about it here in just a moment. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000. K-S-O-O. Four forty-seven on the Patrick Lally Show. Information one thousand K-S-O-O, and uh, I played that a little longer than I normally would because Stephanie Peterson and I were talking about how much we love Wilco. So there you That's go. Right. You just never know when you're going to find a Wilco fan somewhere. <laughs> you right? never know. Uh, you said your husband's seen them how many times? Oh, like twenty or more. Yeah, he's uh, a huge fan. Well, we're going to have to get together. Yeah, he could talk your ear off. That'd be great. Um, we're here talking about Homegrown Sioux Empire and the fact that it's Yard to Table Month that's coming up. Well, September. We're in it. Uh, tomorrow night's the first of uh, several classes uh, about winter gardening. And there, where do you hold those classes again? Which library? So the they're all over the place, but we do do this first winter gardening class at the downtown library. Um, we do one there once a month all year round. So tomorrow night that'll be there. Okay, cool. But and you can go to our Facebook page, Homegrown Sioux Empire, and find all of our list of events for the month. That's awesome. Uh, and it, it culminates with the seventh annual Tour de Coupe. 
That's is, right. You guys are funny. Yep. It's always good if, you, if you're going to have chickens to be funny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's pretty easy to as yeah. well. <laughs> so that's the 29th. Uh, and uh, do I have to sign up for that? Nope. It's free, open to the public, all ages welcome. You just uh, We will post the schedule on our, on our Facebook page, um, and you just show up at 9 a.m. at the first tour stop. We'll stop at about eight different stops throughout the day. Just pick up a schedule at that first stop and, and follow along. So, Stephanie, how did you get into this? So, um, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> I've always been passionate about local food and trying to promote that. Um, Did you grow up on a farm? Or you, were you? So I grew up in Lemon, South Dakota. Oh, um, my gosh. And uh, I, I lived in town, although that was, you know, 800 people. So, But both my sides of my family have cattle ranches up there. Um, and, you know, was really just loved agriculture and was part of agriculture growing up. Um, and then I lived out in D.C. for over 20 years. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And finally moved back to South Dakota four years ago and we bought a small acreage and I couldn't wait to start getting dirty with the gardening and the chickens and the horses and the whole nine yards so yeah and you've got uh, fruit of the coop is the name of that's your right that's operation. right operation yeah and uh so you and it's east of Sioux Falls between here and Brandon yep right? that's right yep. so you don't have any of those nasty city regulations no. but well this event the the yard table is talking about how we can be essentially closer to our food. That's right. And, and you know, local food, we're trying to promote local food within the area as much as possible. We're connecting restaurants um, and chefs and restaurant owners with producers in the area to tell them how they can directly buy um, local food from the farms. And I know you had mentioned that you participate in a CSA. Mm-hmm. You might yes. share that with people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've talked about it a little bit on the show. And, and, and we had a, a CSA, we had a full share this, this summer from uh, Good Earth uh, Farms, which is over by Lennox, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Because you, you just don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And you have some idea. There, there are some basics. But you're sort of forced to think more creatively about your food. That's and it's, right. And it is fantastic. Right. And for those who don't know, a CSA is, stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And basically, you buy into a farm, buy mm-hmm. a share of a farm at the start of the growing season, if that's yep. the way I understand yep. it. Yep. And uh, you get the food starting in the spring when there's something to harvest and ending, I think it's, you know, end of October. A there, box a week. A box a week. And, uh, and you know, we pick it up in town. And so we don't have to, you know, but, and it's, and it's fantastic. Good Earth is a great one. But there are, in fact, uh, but I was talking to, um, uh, uh, Jeff Kirstein, who runs Good Earth with his wife, Nancy, and uh, they used to do a bigger operation, and there were more uh, people with more shares, and that has kind of gone down. But at the same time, there's a rise in people actually growing their own food again. Yes, yes, I think there is. Um, And we we try to help with that by teaching classes throughout the area on how to do that, a variety of skills that we like to share and, um, you know, teach people from composting to how to can, how to preserve, how to grow, all of that. So we're out there. I discovered I was doing some composting this year. By accident? Yeah, in the gutters on the house. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, so good. <laughs> got that bag of compost ready to go. Um, but, the, uh, uh, this I- but this idea of being closer to your food is it has become, I mean, it's trendy sometimes, but why is it important for me or what is the benefit for me of it's extra work. You know, right. I don't just pull up, get whatever I want, processed stuff, take it home, eat it. That's pretty easy. This is harder. What's the benefit to me of of growing my own food? So the biggest benefit is taste. <laughs> Obviously, it's fresher. It's going to taste a million times better. It's healthier for you because it's fresher. Um, you know, you're supporting um, a, a cleaner environment, basically. Uh, you're benefiting wildlife by growing in your in your yard. Um, you're keeping some of the the local food money within our state instead of you know sending it out. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, you know, there's builds community with community gardens and sharing your what you've grown with your neighbors. Um, there's just there's nothing negative about it. Actually, there's been a big growth in the city in the community gardens as well. Yeah, yeah, there sure has been. And they're all over the place, which is pretty cool. But you don't need if you got any land, you can have yep. as much as you want, right? Yeah, you can grow in containers on your deck, on your you know your little. Um, in your apartment. I mean, you can grow anything anywhere, basically. And if I go to any of these meetings, I probably can find out a lot about that. Yeah, stuff, we know? can teach you how to do it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 Homegrown Sioux Empire um, is got a, has a Facebook page. Find that Facebook yep. page. Probably find some contact information yep. there. Yep. Yep. 
any other ways to get more so information? So we also, um, Dakota Rural Action has a website, and it's www.dakotarural.org. Um, we have a, Homegrown has um, a page on that website. You can find Perfect. information there as well. And uh, Uber producer Dan Peters will put that on our Twitter feed so great, people can great. find that. And we have a really cool um, local foods directory that Dakota oh. Rural Action produces. And it has over 200 producers listed by county. Um, where you can just look up whatever item you want to purchase, whether it be duck to fresh peppers, and mm-hmm. you can call that farmer up and buy directly from the farmer. So um, if you're interested in this directory, it's all online on the dakotarural.org website. That sounds outstanding. And now yeah. I've got to start planning the garden for next year. That's right. That's right. Or plan at least which producer you're going to buy from if you don't want to plant your own. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're talking. Uh, Stephanie Peterson, she is with the Homegrown Sioux Empire. She's on the board of directors of Dakota Rural Action and uh, runs uh, the Fruit of the Coop operation out by Brandon. Stephanie, um, it's been fantastic. You'll have to come back sometime. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Coming up after this break. Well, I'll tell you what's going to be on the show tomorrow. How's that sound? This is the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. 4.58 on the Patrick Lally Show, Information 1000, KSOO. And this Friday is the first Friday of the month, and that means it's first Friday downtown, which is always a great night to be downtown. There's going to be a block party at 8th and Railroad parking lot. Oh, there's not hot air balloons because of Trump. Whoops. Free admission to the Kirby Science Discover Center and Visual Arts Center at the Pavilion. Lots of live music, shopping, and dining. It's awesome. Go down there. See more on it. KSO.com if you need more information. Tomorrow on the show, Thomas Hentges, the Burlap Wolf King. Been trying to get this to happen for a long time, and now it's going to. they got a big show coming up on Thursday, and we'll talk about that. And the smart cyclist, Michael Christensen. This is the Patrick Lally Show. Information 1000. KSOO. Them that's to get